Welcome, welcome one and all to Dad Pod episode six, the episode where we talk all about sleep. How are you, Charlie? I, I believe you are solo dad today. I have been uh, flying solo. I've been Han solo most of the week, um, which has been good, actually, because uh, I don't know if we've mentioned it on the pod, but the last few months, there's been a definite shift towards mum. She's been very mummy focused and, mm. and kind of like shutting me out of things. And it, it's been the last four or five days has been a very nice way to reacquaint myself with my daughter. Like, I think much like a dog will pick out who it's going to be loyal to. <laughs> you know, they, they sort of scan the pack and go, well, this person's going to feed and take care of me. I think my daughter's realized that, well, the other one's not here. The one I really like's not here, but this, this doofus will do. Um, but it's actually been great. There are times where I'm like, how does any single parent do this? Like, how does anyone do this without support? But the fact of the matter is you just do, you make it work. Like once you sort of prioritize that tiny life that's in your hands, then everything falls into place. Like you bring in other elements. I mean, it is a little tough for us where we've moved to because we don't have any family, you know, and there's no uncles or aunties that I can call at last minute to come babysit. But we do have babysitters. We've just enrolled her in daycare. So that's, there are wheels in motion to kind of give us a chop out. But the other thing that you try not to forget is it's amazing having all this time. There are some parents who, you know, uh, have to go straight back to work or, you know, work yeah. full-time jobs that take them away from the home like yeah. Gemma is doing right now. So, you know, I'm not going to complain about the fact that I get to spend, you know, all this time with my daughter as she's developing. Mate, I drove past, I was driving uh, G down for her. She's doing, um, getting her P plate. So she's doing all these driving courses at the moment. So I drove her down to the Shire the Sutherland Shire to do her course mm-hmm. down there. And I drove past a daycare that said from six weeks to six years. And I thought, fucking hell, could you just imagine? I got so lucky that at six weeks, Audrey didn't have to go back to work. Mm-hmm. You know, where I, I know people that have had to do that. And I know, like, we've just gone back to shooting Bachelor. We've been shooting for about a month now. And um, if I'm out on set all day, because I've been spent the whole summer with him, but if I'm on set all day, I'm, I fucking miss him. Like heaps, yeah. and I feel like what's what's missing out of my day? Oh, time with this little dude that I love. Uh, but don't worry, the logistics of planning your life around this person continues. I just like literally spent three hours sitting in my car doing work on this podcast <laughs> down in Cronulla, <laughs> waiting for George to fish. Like you, until they get their driver's license, mate, you will be coordinating your entire life about the logistics of your child's movements. <laughs> <laughs> well, to even like add a wrinkle to that. So two weeks ago, we're in Melbourne and uh, uh, I only got gastro and we got back to our, finally got back to our house at the end of last week. And Sunday night, we had another friend come to stay with her son. She's coming to stay for a few days and Jen was due to fly out back to Melbourne the next day. And that night I was like, oh, I feel a bit funny in my stomach. I don't know. And so we're at this restaurant. And so I just left and made my way home, got home and was just like, just the most powerful Ralph I've had in years. And you hate a vomit. And I was like, you hate a vomit. I hate a vomit. I can't stand it. But I've got to say this. I felt so shit that it's the first time I've ever looked forward to vomiting my life because I was like, whatever is in me, I need to get out of my body right now. I've never had gastro before, but it was the equivalent of food poisoning. Like you just are so nauseous and yeah. you, you can barely stand. But then Jem comes home 20 minutes after me and she's like, I don't feel very good. Uh-oh. So both of us are puking. We've just had a friend <laughs> just arrive. Like she's driven, you know, driven up from the, down from the Gold Coast. And we're both like taking it in turns to go to the toilet, sweating. And I'm like, Jesus oh, Christ, no. if Iona does not have a good night tonight, 
I don't know how we're going to do this because we can barely, like, I could barely stand. Oh, Thank God, Osh, and it ties beautifully into this episode. Thank God Iona went down first time and stayed down for the most of the night. So at least, even though we were puking our guts up for the majority of the evening, at least we didn't also have to deal with a baby that was screaming its head off. Wow. And that's, I'm grateful that you guys are better now. Um, but now that the gastro has run through all of you, uh, hopefully you'll be in the yeah. clear for a little while until the next bug comes yeah. along. But yeah, we, we did want to talk about sleep today, particularly the kind of sleep that newborn newborn babies have. Mm. I don't know about you, Charlie, but I was I was really, really, really scared about SIDS. I, re- I really mm-hmm. was. As someone who I remember a time before Red Nose Day, I remember a time when it had a horrible name. They used to call it Cop Death which was yep. fucking grim, but just did what it said on the box. Absolutely horrible. And I was aware of, you know, that it, people that it had happened to, and so I was just super-duper scared of it to the point where we would put Wolfie down to sleep and I would leave the room, and even though we had the monitor and everything, I would sneak back inside, I would put my glasses on, I would squat down by the side of the cot, and I would try to see if his chest was moving up and down as quietly mm. as I could just to see if he was breathing. I didn't touch him or get my hand close to his face to hear, feel the breath. Mm. I did that for ages because I was just so fucking worried because, and rightly so, it's a really, really scary thing. I still quite haven't figured out why it happens, but there's plenty of evidence to help you decrease your risk of SIDS. Now, just to put this into perspective, this is how important, like Red Nose Day, it's just so quite normal, the training that we have around sleep with infants at the moment. Like we just all take it for granted. But in the late 80s, um, sudden infant death syndrome was such a horrible thing. From 1980, after Red Nose Day started, uh, the, the stats are amazing, Charlie. From 1989 to 2018, the sudden, I think it's SUDI now, sudden unexplained death in infants or SID, sudden infant death syndrome, those rates decreased, have decreased by 85%, all right? Now, what this equates to, think of your little girl. I think of my little boy. This equates to 10,857 babies, like your little girl and my little boy, that are alive due to the risk reduction. Mm. Now, think of all those families. Think of, and that's just how we went by. That's just what we did. That's, what, 500 babies a year and 500 families who would have to deal with that. So it's so, so important and it really, really works. This stuff absolutely works. So you've probably got, you know, told you probably at the hospital, but we're here to tell you again today. Whatever the midwives or the doulas have taught you, we're here to tell you again, the baby sleeps on their back. At first, the baby sleeps on their back, not on their tummy, not on their side. Make sure their head and their face is uncovered. Don't put a hat on them, no loose blankets. Um, this is where the swaddle is really important, like a really tight swaddle because they can't yet roll over. They can't get their legs up to roll over, so it's okay to get them in that burrito and really nice and tight. Mm. Smoke-free, vapes included, really important to maintain a smoke-free environment, not only before birth but after birth. And and all, all these things, are, I'm not just pulling them out of my butt. These are scientifically proven things that have decreased the risk of, of these children dying by 85%. A safe sleeping environment. And this this would was the one that blew my mind because people would always bring, Charlie, they'd bring like little soft toys over and go, oh, this is great. And they'd put it straight in his cot and I'd wait for them to leave the room and I'd put it out of the cot because toys yeah. in the cot are really dangerous, really dangerous. So yeah. The mattress has to be a firm and flat mattress, no extra blankets lying around, no toys, no pillows, no bumpers. Like keep the baby warm by 
putting them in something something warm. They wear something warm or you use a heater or something mm. or you keep the baby cool by putting them in something cool or using a fan or something. Extra blanketry, that's where the danger starts. And if you can, these last two things are only if you can, but breastfeed if possible. Like if you can breastfeed, these are the things that have been shown to decrease the risk. If possible, do that. And sleeping with the baby in the room with you until around 12 months. These are all the things that Red Nose Day have, uh, the Red Nose Foundation have, have, have put out. And these things really, really work. Uh, but like I said, Charlie, I was so scared about it and it didn't go away. Mm. Like I, I will still push the button and check on the monitor before I go to sleep. I'll, I'll watch it until he has a little bit of movement. <laughs> still now, it yeah. is a year and a half. It's amazing how your mind can play tricks on you too when you're looking at like what's essentially like a 16-bit It's oh. <laughs> being transmitted to you. You're like, that chest isn't moving. That chest, that pixel is not moving. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also like a second reason why like swaddling is important. The safety thing is absolutely the most important thing. But the other thing is your baby, it helps them to sleep better. Yeah. You've got to remember the environment that your baby has come from, like a, a tightly contained womb. It actually feels comforting for them to be swaddled and to feel tight. I didn't feel as nervous as you because Gemma was absolutely militaristic about the way she would like set up that cot, the swaddling and the cot mm. and the blankets. Like, you know, that old thing about you make your bed in the army, they come and they've got to bounce a coin off it. Jen would like tighten those, like if there was a blanket in the bed, she would tighten under the mattress like so tightly. Yeah. And it was, it was more like a, a cloth rather than a blanket. Round, yeah. And it would be around Iona's feet. But the swaddling would be like a mummy. She was this tiny little mummy that would be wrapped up. Yeah. But I think that urge to kind of check on your child, I don't think that's anything that's going to go away. No. Maybe not checking on the sleep, but uh, even now with Iona, we've just migrated Iona out of a cot and she's now on a mattress on the floor. And it's not like a large drop from the mattress, but we still have like secondary layers of cushions around the mattress. There's basically a ring, there's a little mattress and then a satin of cushions around her <laughs> because we know, because she does roll. What we were finding is sleeping in the cot, when she'd start to roll, she'd roll into the bars and she'd wake herself up uh -huh. and back to sleep. So we migrated to a mattress on the floor. So now she's got a bit more movement. Right. So she does tend to flip and flop, but sleeps through the entire night. But the thing that we have really worked hard with Iona on, which is important after the safety thing is routine, because I wish I had this advice. I wish there'd been a dad pod when we started trying to set a sleep routine for Iona, because I wasn't aware that you can start a baby on a sleep routine from two months. And so what that means is that your baby is going to need about 14 to 17 hours a day of sleep. And so when you're putting them down for that big long sleep, you want them to have a set series of events to happen before sleep for them to go, oh, okay, I know what's going on here. Here's the feed. Here's the bath. Here's the cuddle and the book. Here's the bottle. And now it's time to sleep. So there's a great book that you, uh, I think, you, did you recommend this one? Or no, I you gave it to, it to us and you changed our lives. Tizzy Hall, Save Our Sleep. Changed our lives. Uh, look. We don't take any kickbacks uh, from Tizzy None at all. Uh, or the book at all, but Save Our Sleep. Uh, we started it at six months with Iona because she was getting to an age where she was now moving a lot more and being a bit more active and independent and just wasn't sleeping. And we were losing our minds a bit because we were just like, well, the, the Osher Ginsberg three S's weren't working anymore. And then, you know, we were leaning on a bottle to kind of get her back to sleep. And that's not really the best thing. You don't want them, you want them to be able to self-settle. Save Our Sleep is such a great book because it details from two months to uh, six months to one year to 18 months, like 
the structure you should have for your baby, including exact timings. Now, um, to give you an example, like a, a, a baby at around one year, you want to um, get them to bed by 7 p.m. So you give them dinner at 5 p.m. And then at 5.45, you give them the bath and you get them out of the bath and you have a play, you read a book, then you give them their bottle and then you get them into the cot, you know, 20 minutes before 7 p.m. and allow them to self-settle. Now, this is the thing where most parents get kind of freaked out. The idea of, you know, I'm not going to just rock my baby to sleep. Well, you can, but then your baby's going to expect to be rocked to sleep every single time. And when it's 3am and the baby wakes up, I guarantee you ain't going to feel like going into the nursery and rocking Absol- the baby to sleep. Absolutely. Because it's, it's not like you or I, like I have my special, like, orthodontic neck pillow. You know, I have the special pillow that I like. I have the pillow that I put between my knees because of my hip surgery. I like to, you know, have my special blanket. You know, there's things that I have that say if I go to stay to a hotel room, I don't have my pillow. I don't have, you know, all these other, I don't have my blanket. All of a sudden I'm comfortable. The things that get me to sleep normally, it's the same when you're a little, little baby. It's really important, mm. but we are essentially, we're, we're quite easily programmable creatures, humans. And I guess what you're talking about is if you give the baby the cues before it's bedtime, they will go, oh, right, now they will make the choice themselves to be like, okay, this is the part where I just chill because nothing else is going to happen after this. I know this, they just leave the room and that's it. Yeah, and so they describe it as sleep association. So there's certain things you can do to help sort of lull your baby into that gentle entry into sleep. And it's a lot of stuff is kind of fairly obvious. For instance, you know, you want the room to be kind of dimly lit and quiet. So we use a salt lamp. Um, You know, when the sun goes down, we'll pull the curtains and we'll just get that room feeling nice and kind of quiet and warm. Some people choose to use white noise or, you know, there's apps on your phones that can play like the sounds of like washing machines or the ocean. Oh, they work really well too. You can have uh, some uh, toys, like when they're a little bit older, that they might get get comfort from. Uh, Iona has a range of teddy bears who, uh, like the bachelor Osh, um, she takes on various dates (laughs) before it's bedtime. So each stuffed toy gets a a moment with Iona. Uh, They audition to see who will be her sleep partner for that night. (laughs) At the moment, Fabian the reindeer tends to be uh, the favourite, but George the giraffe occasionally will pop his head up from time to time. But we like to give her the stuffed toy while we're reading to her because that way it's sort of she you know it's a bit cuddly moment and you know sometimes she'll get a lullaby as well and then you can also experiment with things like um room sprays like lavender scenting and things like that because as we all know smell is the greatest thing that sticks in the memory in terms of associating a feeling and so if you can create a sense of calm and warmth and mum and dad are here with that that scent then it helps the baby get into that sleepy state when wolfie was very very little we did kind of cheat a bit with all this stuff and that we had, I guess you'd call it a smart cot. We had a thing called a snoo that we would put. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah, we would put Wolfie in. Bloody duh, you were one of those kind of couples that I could afford a snoo, could you? Anyway. With that that sweet, sweet dad pod money. Actually, actually, they sent it to us and (laughs) and we were like, okay, we'll use it. Thank you. And it was really, really good because it, it would hear Wolfie make a noise and it would just ramp up. All these things we're talking about, a little bit of a, a shake and it would give a shh noise and it would kind of rock him back and forth all night long. But when he transitioned out of that, that's kind of where we, because this thing, this beautiful little machine, which is, it hasn't had a baby 
not in it since Wolfie was born. It's just gone from family to family to family to family. Like a baby has slept in it every single night that it's been in our possession. But when Wolfie came out of that routine, that's when we really started to struggle because Mm. he was looking for all those things. He was looking for those things that helped him get to sleep. And just like yourselves, we were kind of using the cheat codes of the bottle you know, the bottle and the song to all get him to sleep. But as you mentioned, when it's 2.45 and your alarm's going off at 5 a.m. because you've got to get up and get to work and you're like, dude, no, we can't. Um, Mm. uh, Teaching the baby to self-settle was, it was hard, all right? Getting the routine going was hard because they are so used to having all these things that they have had if you haven't been doing it since the start. And like in the book, you can start really, really early. Yeah. We waited until way too late. We waited until nine months. He's obviously makes a lot of fuss and a lot of noise. He's like, hang on, this isn't how I get to sleep. Where is my cuddle? Where's yeah. my song? Where's my bum pat? Where's my bottle? Where's all that stuff? And screaming quite yeah. loud. And I've talked about this on the show before, trying to get him down and him doing the baby burpees um, using the lie yeah, down technique that Tizzy talks Very about. Impressive. <laughs> but we got there in the end. And, and the thing that was that really got to me that I loved about her book, it was, yes, it's going to be hard because when they scream, not so much in the dad but in the mum, there's a switch that goes off in their brain. They hit this particular pitch yeah. and it does something to a mum's body and her mum's reaction that it doesn't do to dad. Yeah. And yeah. Audrey did struggle quite a bit. And that's fair enough because she can't do anything about it. That's her, her natural protection reaction. But then Tizzy talks about like, and she used the word, I don't think she used the word cruel, but, you know, what's the kind of thing to do to teach a baby to learn how to settle themselves down or to never let them have the skill set of being able to regulate themselves? And once she put it like that, it was like, all oh, right, because I'm someone who had to learn mm. emotional regulation quite late in life. I'm like, man, of course I want the baby to be able to settle himself if he gets upset. Okay. Yeah. It's, this is a gift that I'm giving him. It's hard at first. It is now it, it is. He says, "Bye, Daddy." And when I leave the room now, "Bye, Daddy." Don't you think that there's also like I, I found we had exactly the same issue where Jem because for those of you unaware, so the theory is is you put the baby down drowsy but not asleep. You want them to kind of self settle. Now the baby is going to complain and try and get up. So the rule is you sit there, you be quite as neutral as you can. You don't want to react or give the baby any kind of emotional. Light. You're just going to sit there as a observer. And anytime the baby gets to its feet, you just very gently lay it back down. You can say, shh, or go to sleep or some kind of encouraging thing. But you allow that to happen 14 times. They're very specific in the (laughs) book. If it gets to 14 times and the baby doesn't lie down, you then exit the room for exactly 17 minutes. (laughs) And that is the hard part because that baby is going to ramp it up. And, you know, my daughter is a daughter of an actor. You know, her mother's a director. You know, she's got drama in her veins. And so she would kick up screaming and and yelling. And and I would virtually have to sit on Gemma to stop Gemma from running to the room to check on her. And it was really, really hard. But... Uh, It was only about three nights of that being really difficult that we started to see results. So after that 17 minutes, you then go back in and you restart the whole routine. But this time you're going to stay in there and you're going to do as many lay downs as it takes the baby to go to sleep. And look, it's going to feel like you're losing and you're not making any progress, but trust me, it does take effect. Like I think that by night three, after the second time I had to go in, so after the 17 minute break when I was doing, I was going and laying her down, she would stay down, but she would grizzle and, and mumble at me and, you know, growl and complain. Yeah, yeah. But she wasn't getting up. So 
it wasn't that stressful because now I'm just sitting there watching my baby grizzle and complain themselves to sleep. And then what you'll notice after that is she'll start doing that in the first lay down. So, you know, you may not even get to the 14 lay downs. She may like scream and complain, but get to like the 10th lay down and go like, ah, this guy, <laughs> like, every time I get up, exactly, he lays me down. They're learning that, oh, nothing happens after this. The only thing that yeah. happens is they leave. So I may as well just, all that happens is I go to sleep now. Yeah. And you're right. And as you mentioned before, you still get to cuddle and, and sing to your baby. That yeah. happens like 20 minutes before this. And that's the best part. It's not like you never get to cuddle and sing and rock them. I still sing my little Time to Go to Sleep Wolfie song, and it's really yeah. good. I, I've got four verses now, and there's a, <laughs> there's a shh, 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 shh breakdown in it, which is, is really cool. And then he says, good night, Daddy. And I was like, good night, Wolfie, and I leave the room. And it's you could not have told me when he was screaming bloody murder when we were teaching him how to do this that he would ever do that. But you're right, Charlie. you just got to stick with it because they will. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing too is like, like anything, once you establish the basics, then you can start being flexible. Like, yeah. you know, Jeremy and I have moved house. We've been traveling a lot for work. So that routine, you know, has gone out the window and there is a, you know, there's a regression at some point where, you know, Iona was just like, we could not get her to go down. But, you know, that's when we decided, okay, maybe the cot's not doing it anymore. Maybe we should move her to a different bed. And, um, you know, we're now moving to a more, I think it's a more Montessori sort of philosophy, which is like you want to create a room that is like their space, you know, that, yeah. that, that they want to be in. So they can't wait when the sun goes down and they've had their bath. They can't wait to go into the room because that's where all their stuff is, their toys and their books. So that's the phase we're at with Iona. But the other night, my babysitter was saying that she did exactly what Wolfie did is that she had her bottle and they were reading a book. And then Iona looked at the babysitter and said something, her version of sleep. And yeah. the babysitter said, okay. And so left her in the bed. Iona got comfortable, put her head down, bang, was out. So that is the goal. And trust me, where Osher and I were in our respective <laughs> like uh, sleep journeys was not that. Like no. Osher at nine months, you know, me at six months, uh, we didn't know what the hell was going on. And it, and it felt like there was no solution. Or that it would ever end. And we were like, how are yeah. we going to live the rest? Like we know eventually stops, but there's got to be like 10 years of this. I don't know how this yeah. is ever going to end. And you don't want to be like, I, I, I have friends who didn't stick with this routine and they took the easy way or the shortcut of I'm going to bring the baby to bed. And now that kid is six and seven years old and it's still in bed with them. Oh, yeah. And you don't want that. You don't want that. And it's not, yes, it's wonderful to have the kids in bed. But when you think about that, well, what are you depriving your child of? You're depriving your child of the opportunity to become an independent person. And, mm. and that's ultimately, you're trying to create this person to be an independent adult. And it starts... It starts around here. I know it's tough to it, – I'm sure you can have a little lie in every now and again. Exactly. But if they can't get to sleep without being in bed with you, that's going to cause problems way, way bigger later on. Get the basics right and then you can enjoy all the benefits of the cuddles in the morning or, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you want your kid, like Osh is saying, to be an independent operator. And the thing is, like, they want that. As well. The only reason they're dependent on you is because they don't know any better. You give them the tools, allow them to be the best sleeper they can be, and then you get to do all the fun stuff. Yeah. And you can still put them back in their bed. It's <laughs> even better. So you can stretch out. Because, Osh, I don't know what it's like in your place, but I have the biggest body 
of anyone in my house. Not to say I'm a big guy, but I just physically am the biggest person. Yet I get the least amount of real estate in my bed and I don't know how that happens. <laughs> Whenever she's in bed with us, she gets the biggest part, Jem gets the sick, and I'm on the smallest bit. I get a little slither right on the edge of the mattress. Get used to it, mate. It's the rest of your life, man. It's the rest of your life. <laughs> He's the former host of Getaway and star of radio, and now he is a tech maverick as the founder of Tribe. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Jules Lund. What's up, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> Great way to introduce uh, yourself to a, a pod that's all about responsible parenting, Jules Lund. Welcome to Dad Bod. You're with Charlie and Osha. Hello. How Now that I know we're recording, I'll <laughs> on my performance voice. <laughs> no, that's okay. We've got it. We've got a great editor, Andy. You can cut that first bit out, unless no. Andy's got a, a, a bone to pick with you. <laughs> no, keep it, keep it. I got nothing to hide. <laughs> now, uh, Jules, we're so happy to have you on the show as an experienced uh, father of two girls. You might have to uh, stretch your mind back a little bit because today we've been talking about sleep training. How were your girls as sleepers? Oh my God! Don't ask me this. I mean. I take sleep so seriously. I've got one of those whoops, which is like a sleep tracker on my wrist. And for me, if you were to ask Anna, I am like so obsessed and fixated on sleeping because I reckon that is pretty much the main foundation of mental health. So if I was to go back to those days, all I can remember is that I slept really well and I can't remember getting up that often because, as I said, I'm really obsessed about my own sleep. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jules, very cleverly, you uh, got a massive breakfast radio gig just as the babies were doing the overnight feeding stuff. So were you just like, oh, sorry, honey, someone's got to make the money here? Yeah, exactly right. But, look, these days, sleep is number one. So I do, and sugar. Like, you know, I get quite responsible and a bit, Serious when it comes to um, the girls eating well, sleeping well, avoiding sugar, drinking water. I excel on those. I probably fail on the shelter because they're living in a shed without a door. But the other things, I've, I've covered all the basics and, and they live a happy, healthy life because I just know very quickly that part, like a big proportion of the, the behavioural issues that kids have is really around those things. You know, if you get those things right, I think that they, you know, you give them the best chance to succeed. And then, um, you know, I think everything builds on top of that from self-esteem and so on. And and so when you say like you value sleep for your daughters, uh, do you build that around a routine? I mean, they're a little older now, but uh, as they were, when they were younger, were you, were you very sort of set in getting them a, a, like a bedtime routine of bath and a book and then a feed and then and sleep? A little bit, but also later in life, just them understanding the power of it. Right. Like when they're sad or an emotional, I just link that back to a late night which is actually genuine. And so, I mean, school's really tough. When kids go to school, they're absolutely cooked, especially, you know, preppies and, you know, it's just a, a monumental challenge for kids to get through it. And so, you know, we would have Saturday and Sunday sweeps right up until they were screaming at me because they were humiliated that their friends would find out. So <laughs> we would do that and things like sleepovers, you know, I've got a, I've literally got a list here, which is like blowouts after sleepovers. Right. They have a sleepover. They're only allowed to do it, but if they have these marks, and every time they do a sleepover, and then there's a blowout, and then things like camp, like they went to school camp, 
And, you know, the weekend after that, they've just got to have time to recoup. You just can't keep moving through it. And so, yeah, I find that you just get the best out of your kids and you have great relationships. They're able to learn well at school. And I think that's where you get them to eat better and they're more receptive to drinking water and all those basics I've always been quite vigilant with. And I find that to be such a, a great, foundation for a happy, healthy life. Jules, I know it was a while ago since you brought your girls home from hospital. Do you remember the first time you put baby down to sleep? Well, your, your eldest is uh, Billy. Do you remember the first time you put Billy, Billy down to sleep? Do you remember like going back in the room to, to check she was okay? Do you remember things like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you got the, the genuine fear. And I know guys, you guys have talked about it in the past, like when you're putting him in that baby capsule at the start, I mean, I was still on radio, so I was playing a lot of pranks. Like, you know, we, we stayed at a hotel at one stage because the, the hospital was full. And so I'd be freaking Anna out by trying to do pranks by calling the, the hotel on the way home and saying, hey, can you go and get our placenta out of the mini bathroom? <laughs> 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 um, because I, I can't imagine the, the next guest coming into that room being overly excited by it. Um, so coming home, yeah, look, I mean, it's funny, you know, just as a slight tangent, that, that baby capsule thought and putting that kid, because you guys would remember that when you put them first in the car. And yeah. You, yeah. you never forget that. I mean, I can't even remember the sleep as much as that. But I also remember what it was like. I mean, the world's easiest job on the planet is, is working at a, like a baby bunting and you're selling baby capsules for the car or a pram and you're like, you know, you walk in there, it is just the easiest job in the world because there's these parents, you know, this big belly walking around and, and you say, right, you know, you can buy this one for $350 um, or you can get this one for $1,250 and this one, you know, if you hit anything, the baby's head won't be splashed onto the side of the, um, <laughs> side of the car window. And they turn to you and they sort of say, you know, did you care about that sort of stuff? <laughs> you go and get the expensive one then. And the same with prams. It's like they just press on the, you know, when, when you think about your baby, do you care about its safety? Because you should get the $4,000 everything. I actually, um, there was yeah. a moment at the baby store at the baby Bunnings when I went there with Audrey and before Wolfie showed up and there was a, as you mentioned, Jules, you have a wearable where you track your own sleep. There was a, like a sock you could put on the baby's foot and a pad that they would lie on, which would give you their O2 saturation and their pulse rate if you weren't in the room. And Audrey, she knows me and metrics, Jules. She took one look at me and she's like, no fucking way are you getting that. No way. Cause you will just <laughs> stare at it all day. And you won't, you every the moment it drops a half a percent, you'll get off your ass and sprint towards the room. No, no, you're not having it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a bit the same with Garmin and this octopus watch. I just wanted to be able to track my kids, to track them everywhere. <laughs> but apparently, everyone's against that because then other people can track your kids. So I was like, okay, so we'll, we'll just draw a line there. Now, Jules, when it came to like soothing uh, your daughters, getting them into that kind of nice sleepy mode, were you a, a lullaby man? Did you have any kind of standard uh, hits that you would go to? Yeah, there was. they call it the daddy song, even still today, <laughs> where I used to sing, you are so beautiful to me. And it's adorable because it's horrific sounding, <laughs> but they still, I can still put them to sleep with it. And then I've got this thing, hang on. So we've got a monitor next to 
my daughter's bed and she's eight. <laughs> <laughs> is that what happens? Jules, is that what happens? Yeah. And um, no, we're upstairs and she's downstairs. Yeah. And also that sound, that lullaby that I just played, I'll put that on every night. She just It just knocks her out because it's just, you know what it's like, the power of audio anchoring. It's like hypnosis. It just, it just as soon as she hears it. Yeah, so there's yet a lot of soothing. And then, yeah, we, we do a lot going to sleep, but they still push the envelope. But, you know, because they're getting just smarter and smarter, my kids. Like Billy's 11 now. And, you know, I'm often reminded by that scene in I Am Sam when they're sort of talking to Dakota Fanning about their father, Sean Penn, and how one day that, you know, she's going to grow beyond her dad's ability to, um, <laughs> beyond her dad's intellect. And I'm pretty sure my friends are having that conversation with Billy right now. <laughs> <laughs> because I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll be sitting there having like, you know, I'm drinking beers, right? But the Carlton Zero, which is like, no alcohol, zero mm. alcohol, and she'll walk in and she'll see me drinking that, and she'll say, "Can I have an apple juice?" And I say, "Yeah, no worries, she'll have an apple juice." And then she'll say, um, "What are you drinking?" And I said, "Oh, it's a beer." She goes, "But it's got no alcohol in it." I said, "Yeah." And she goes, "Can I have one of those?" <laughs> and I said, "No, you can't have a, a beer." She goes, "It's got no alcohol in it." <laughs> and then she says, "So why can't I have one then?" And then I say, "Because it's full of sugar." And she goes, "Okay." Just out of curiosity, has that beer got more sugar or less sugar than the apple juice? You just oh, no. <laughs> You said it's fructose and shut up. And she just wind me up, but she, she's like four steps. She's already asked for the juice knowing she wants the beer. <laughs> wow. And uh, she just waits till she's got me in some jujitsu mental yeah. tap out. And that's the game. And then she just walks off and I just sit there feeling like Sean Penn. Yeah, but she's <laughs> playing 4D chess, mate. And you're just playing with check- a checkers board. <laughs> Exactly. Now, Jules, just off the topic a little bit, our mutual friend Sam Kavanagh, when I told him that you're going to be on the show, said, I had to ask you about your daughter dates. You need to tell us about your daughter dates. What is this? Oh, they're, they're daddy dates. So I just had a ritual very early on, which I recommend every parent does, actually, because it's been one of the most special things, is just for every birthday, I'll take them out for a, a date. But it's just a day fully for them by me. So for instance, you know, we might go, you know, they'll get all dressed up. First thing we usually do is I go out to the florist, buy them a rose, and then we go out and have an adventure. So for instance, I might've booked them a perfume making class. So for Billy that year, you know, she chose all her favorite smells and she made perfume, was able to name it. And then I'll take her out to a fancy lunch and, you know, then we'll do something in the afternoon. They get to eat whatever they want. This year, I took Billy to Loon because she just loves croissants. And in Melbourne, you know, it's a croissant terry. It's just amazing. And then, you know, Indy will like completely different things. So for her, we might go to the butterfly enclosure at the zoo and then go go-karting. And, and they're just special, special days. And then they, they get to buy something. So we'll, we'll purchase something really cool. Like for Billy, it was a neon sign for her room. You know, so they've got their birthday, they've got their party, and likewise, the other kid has Anna at home, so then they can do something sort of special, but it's sort of slightly different, but it just builds on it each year, and I I know what it's like, you know, these years, you know, your kids really want to spend time with you, and it's a bit like Cats in the Cradle, that film, and you can get really preoccupied, but I now know what it's like, my parents trying to get my attention, tough these days, 
you know, they're not, it sometimes feels like a bit of an obligation. So you've only got this sort of small period where they really want to do it. But I hope that this one is one that no matter how distant it gets, they've always got that every year to be able to create memories. So I've got 364 other days I can um, ignore them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jules, despite your uh, cynical end, I think it was a beautiful sentiment. Thank you so much for joining us today. Always good to chat. We may have to get you uh, back on the show when our kids are outsmarting us in a couple of years. Couple of years. (laughs) She's already doing better push-ups than you, mate. If you want to email us, it's real easy, askdadpod at gmail.com. That's where we are. You can also find us on Instagram, dadpodgram. This one's coming from Joseph. Absolutely loving dadpod. I've binge listened since I found it. My wife's enjoyed a few eps. My question for you is around connection to the process of pregnancy. My wife's currently just over 15 weeks. I still feel like I can't fathom the fact that she's growing a human, particularly the one that started from nothing but the two of us. I'm worried I'll never come to fully understand this and that will affect my relationship with Bub once he's born, and that he'll never really feel like mine. Did you ever experience this at all or have any advice around it? Thanks, Joseph. What do you reckon? Yeah, I uh, I definitely did feel like the pregnancy thing was Gemma's journey, and I would be lying if I said that I felt 100% included in that or that I even really understood what was going on. And I think that it's a very natural fear when you're about to have a child that will I connect with this baby. And we've had uh, a previous listener write in to tell us, you know, that was a very serious mm. issue for him in that first year. And so I would give the same advice that we gave to that listener, which was if you are having these thoughts, then counseling is a great option, you know, to actually get some professional help and talk these issues through because there is nothing shameful about this. This is a very Completely natural normal. thought to have. Yeah. But maybe there are some tools to be put in place, you know, the ways that you can connect with your wife's pregnancy, you know, you don't want to put the onus on her. She's got enough to deal with right now. So like I wouldn't hit her up for some like uh, ideas of how you can sort of get more fully involved in this pregnancy, but I'm sure there are people out there who could give you some great advice. I completely agree. Go, just go and chat with someone, Joseph. Just starts with your GP and maybe you'll get a referral maybe to, uh, if you're in Australia, you can maybe get a, a referral for a mental health plan. Maybe go see a psych for a little while. Absolutely worth it. Just get a bit of a tune up before baby arrives. But at 15 weeks, still not quite showing, maybe showing just a little bit. And the once your wife starts to change shape quite significantly, once you actually start to feel the kicking and feel the baby moving yeah. inside her, it becomes pretty real pretty quick, man. Uh, yeah. Pretty and- fast. But like Charlie was saying, you know, tr- there are things you can do, like being involved. We've spoken about this on the show, massaging every night, being in there as much as you trying to physically connect with your wife and seeing the effect that you can have on her to make her day easier. I actually found myself just sometimes I had the, the ultrasounds on my phone. I would just stare at his little weird alien-like <laughs> X-ray skull and just kind of <laughs> contemplate, oh, this is a little boy I'm going to see. And it was told to me, and I didn't believe it, but my buddy Stevie, when I showed him the ultrasound, he goes, you wait, when he comes out, he'll look just like that. And he was absolutely right. <laughs> that is how your baby will look. When you meet your baby, that's how they look. So just be with that. You're already connecting with your child. But if you yeah. can look at the ultrasound picture, just kind of be with it for a little while and just kind of go, okay, hello, mate. Nice to see you. I can't wait to meet you. And just kind of have those little meditative moments. It might really help. And there's also the fun stuff too of like, you know, Gemma and I were, would play music to her belly to see what 
what would get a response, you know, like we went through every genre of music, you know, then there's the speculating about who it's going to look like. I mean, all those kind of discussions are ways for you to bond with your partner and you're bonding with your partner about the imminent arrival of your child. So, you know, like I said, I think start with some professional help, but, you know, don't be afraid to like go to your wife and, you know, the massage is probably never going to be an unwanted uh, offer. Absolutely. But then have some fun with it as well, you know, coming up with names, speculating on what it's going to look like, the music, all that kind of stuff. That's what I found most enjoyable about the pregnancy. Speaking of experts, our second email here, askdadpod at gmail.com, comes from Matt from Fremantle, who is an evolutionary scientist is an evolutionary scientist, finds our insights into raising kids fascinating. (laughs) Because we're idiots. (laughs) So there we go. Approved by science. That's it. One out of one evolutionary scientists agree that dad pod is fascinating. My friend has a theory that dad jokes are designed to draw attention away from sibling conflict and unite Uh. them against the dad. Same goes for a Christmas cracker. That's why Christmas cracker jokes are so terrible. So a good joke won't be funny for everyone, but a bad joke will unite the whole family against the horrible joke, and then it creates unity. So I think what Matt, the evolutionary scientist, is telling us is that when it comes to the dad jokes, go for fucking gold because you are uniting your family with every pun, every single pun. Hi, Hungry. Nice to meet you. Every time you do that, you're bringing the family together. Do you have a go-to dad joke at the moment? Oh, what were we on last night? Oh, we were on the Tina Turner puns last night. Oh, really? I was just going. He's not getting that, though. I, I, no, I've, I've got a 17-year-old, man. So it was, it was, oh. I was doing mad Tina Turner puns. I just kept pulling out Tina Turner. Well, that would make me a private dancer, wouldn't it? Oh! <laughs> I own a, I have an ongoing gag that I've been doing. It's actually a, an early childhood development game that I've continued on to now, which is I will pick up any object that is definitely not a hat, put it on my head and ask Iona, do you like my hat? And it never fails to get a laugh. <laughs> Banana, drink bottle, uh, microphone lead. Hey, Iona, do you like my hat? Always gets a laugh. <laughs> That's our T-shirt for today. Do you like my hat? <laughs> Osh, it's that time of the show where we induct another fictional dad into the Dad Pod Hall of Fame. This year, we are doing Foster Fathers. When you say we, it's really you. You're you're (laughs) the one that's coming up with all these, and I'm loving every single one of them. Well, I hope you like this one because we're going to uh, go to an anthropomorphized human. Uh (laughs) So someone who's not actually human but has the attributes of human. If I said these four names, Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, and Raphael. Yes. Would you know that I was talking about a giant rat named Splinter? I would. For the uninitiated, Splinter was the pet rat of a ninja master named Hamato Yoshi. When Hamato Yoshi was murdered by Oruko Saki, otherwise known as Shredder, uh, he escaped into the sewers of New York where he was covered in a tube of (laughs) radioactive ooze alongside four baby turtles. And they grew into these horrific monsters. (laughs) No, they didn't. They grew into the heroes that save, I don't know, I don't know much about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I'll be honest with you. Look, they say cowabunga and ride skateboards. That's pretty much as far what I know about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He became their sensei. He became their father figure. He taught them ninja too. Yeah. Now, that was my question to you, right? Like, he taught them martial arts, which I understand is like discipline and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, they were living in a sewer 
Like, do you think at some point with this like super radioactive ooze-induced intelligence that maybe Splinter's sort of gone, you know what, maybe this isn't the best environment for my teenagers living in like the refuse of New York City? I don't know, but if they were human maybe, but as a turtle, surely your immune system can deal with some pretty dodgy water conditions. <laughs> so you think it, there are, he's okay with that? I mean, he is a rat. He's a rat. He is a rat. They tend to dig it down there. They tend to be, yeah, this is great. I'm here in the sewer. And turtles too. Turtles like... Brilliant. There's heaps of stuff to eat. Well, he taught his sons about art history, hence the names. He taught them uh, martial arts. He also taught them to stick to the shadows, strike hard and fade away into the shadows. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily the best thing. You don't want to teach your kids to fight. Self-defense is one thing, Osh, but I don't know that you should be teaching your kids to strike fast, strike hard and then disappear into the night. That's a bit more Cobra Kai, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's a, whole, but, that's a whole other father figure. We'll get to him on a oh, later episode. Thank God, we've got one for next week. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but for now, Splinter, uh, Pet Rat, Tomato Yoshi, Dad Pod salutes you. Uh, this has been a fantastic episode of Dad Pod, episode six. There are heaps of other episodes. This is a third season of Dad Pod. So if you have started here, slide on back to the uh, the early seasons uh, are basically Charlie and I are basically live blogging before and during and after our children come into the world. And um, now, uh, from season two onwards, it was kind of like, we should probably do this with facts let's, now. Let's go back. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's go. go. Let's we... hit rewind and just make sure we get some stats in there. So, yeah, here we are. Uh, season three, there's season two. Recommend the show to people who have got babies on the way or, you know, just enjoy. The amount of people, I tell you, man, the amount of single childless females that listen to this show, that let me know yeah. on Instagram that I listen to the show, is quite surprising because we're making a show for dads, for other men like us, yet for some reason, women who are single without kids love to listen to us talking about raising children. Do you think that's they listen to it and they go, well, we're not missing out on anything. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> two, I got this two old guys in their 40s complaining about their sore bodies and hip replacements and shit. <laughs> oh, gosh. I woke up today feeling like I'd run a marathon. <laughs> I have not exercised in two weeks, but I literally like got to my feet and was like, oh, God, everything is hurting. Is that what's, is that just going to continue to happen where I yeah. wake up injured? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's the worst part of getting old. It's not my line. The worst part of getting old is the moment you wake up, that's the least pain you're going to feel all day. It <laughs> oh <my laughs> just gets God. worse until bedtime. <laughs> just, uh... <laughs> we'll be back again next week. If you want to send us a message, you can email us. AskDadPod at gmail.com or also on Instagram. DadPodGram is where you can find us. Tell your friends, rate the show, review the show where you can. Support the sponsors because they pay for Andy uh, who edits the show. Uh, yeah, that's basically it. And uh, thank you to Jules Lund who was our guest dad this week. And Charlie, you are just blowing my mind that you've managed to record a podcast with Iona in the house by yourself. I've got her on the Uniden monitor. I'm just watching her right now. She is doing the finger points at the Wiggles. I assume she's talking to them, but it's probably time for me to go and do some actual parenting. I can't, I can't let Lockie and Simon and Anthony and Emma do all the parenting. It's just not fair. Can't you? No, I can't. can't. You? Well, well, I guess I've got to cut this and then I'll, then I'll go in and take <laughs> okay, over. Man. Have a great week. Until we speak next time, go to bed. <laughs> <laughs>